Best Sports Fans. I'm Sean Oldred, joined today by Andrew Samaha and Sam Kinchis. We've got another episode of the UMass Basketball Show on 91.1 WMUA. It's been a semi-eventful week in UMass basketball since the last time we were here. The Minutemen took on the Rams of Rhode Island last weekend, came out with a massive win, the largest A-10 win in conference play since 1996, absolutely blowing out the Rams, holding them to under 45 points. That was definitely impressive. Um, and then they played Dayton on Wednesday night in a game that was not so impressive, uh, absolutely getting blown out by the Flyers, who are one of the best teams in the conference. Um but this week, guys, what did you see out of this UMass team? What did you like from the games? Sam, maybe you want to start. It was a real Jekyll and Hyde effect. Like, you really saw what this team could be when the defense is clicking on all cylinders. But then you also see what happens. Like, the flip side is that the offense just stagnates. This team really relies on defense becoming offense. And we talked about before the show, there were just times where you contrast that with Dayton, where their players were just constantly moving, constantly setting screens. And they're just stagnant. We've seen that so many times throughout the season. And when the defense just got too tired and they just didn't have an answer for Deron Holmes, specifically with Dayton, they just essentially like just had players playing hero bar. Louise was driving to the lane, just trying to get whatever he could. And there was just a lack of clarity and confusion on the offensive side. Yeah, Sam pretty much took the words right out of my mouth. Very stagnant offense, uh, relying on the defense to uh, produce some offense. RJ Luis being a big bright spot over the last few weeks for us. Uh, big uh, big second half against URI to help us pull away. Broke that five-game losing streak that was a miserable time. And Keon Thompson's been another nice little spark for us. Uh, 14 points versus URI and 10 versus Dayton. He's starting to come on as a, another big piece. I think Frank in a post-game conference uh, or during a media availability said Keon Thompson when uh, Noah Fernandes was healthy. He had the responsibility of the, the nail on his pinky finger. But now that Noah's gone down, Keon's really stepped into his own. And he's also a great hustler, plays great defense for us. I think that's a great point about Keon. Um, this UMass team, for all the negatives that we've seen throughout this year, and there's been a lot of them, the freshmen have been such a bright spot. Uh, I think RJ Luis, I said this on the broadcast the other night, but I think he may be the best freshman finisher that I've seen. I've been watching UMass basketball for a very long time at this point. No freshman finishes. No freshman has the control that he has with his body. He's really a gifted offensive player right now. I think when he realizes that he can start rebounding uh, and doing all of those other things, that's when he can become an elite player. But right now, as a freshman, he's really been impressive. And Thompson's really come into his own. And I don't, I didn't expect to see the growth from game one to now from Keon that we've seen. And I think so much of it has to do with injuries, and he's played a lot because Diggins was hurt for a while. Obviously, Fernandes has only played 11 games this year. So he's had to play a lot of minutes, but he's certainly developing at a rate you want to see, which I think is important for this UMass team and important for fans to see that there is a little bit of growth coming, at least from those guys. But when you look at the rest of the team, it's it's been pretty abysmal. I mean, they have one win in the last month, and it was that win against URI. And I mean this in the least disrespectful way to URI because I really think that Archie Miller will get that program on track. They're just not talented, though. They don't have the guys and the resources. They also lost their best player like the day, like two days before. Yeah, Brayon Freeman not playing that game was a pretty big uh, shift for them as well. It just That's a strange setup that they're in right now. Give Archie Miller time. They will figure it out. And when they are good, it's better for the conference. But 
that URI team is very, very bad. So that's not saying much. They have no quality wins uh, in A10 play really at all, um, except for a win over St. Louis early. But it was like the second game of non-conference play. Feels like they lose the games they're supposed to. They lose the games that maybe they're even supposed to win. But at this point, you're sitting at the 13th seed in the A10 tournament. Going forward here, guys, you've got two games left. They play Duquesne, who they have beaten this year. They won 87-79 to uh, way back in January. And then they take on St. Bonaventure in the last home game of the year. What do you want to see from those games? Is there anything you want to see going into Brooklyn? Andrew, why don't you start? Oh, yeah, going into Brooklyn, um, or not going into Brooklyn, sorry, going to Duquesne, something I want to see is more production from guys not named R.J. Luis and Keon Thompson. Uh, T.J. Weeks is somebody um, I feel like should be highlighted. He's been, he's a he's a 3 and D kind of guy, and he just hasn't been taking many shots, and he's not really getting the ball. We're not really running many plays to uh, open up space for him on the floor. So he's kind of just standing there on offense all the time, I feel like, when I'm watching him and just waiting for the ball to come to him when it's just not coming. And another guy, uh, DeAndre Dominguez, all season long, I, I've been loving the way this guy's been playing. Uh, I don't know if it had something to do with the uh, illness he with uh, in the game he missed versus URI with an illness. I don't know if his lack of production in the Dayton game had anything to do with that. But going into the tournament, um, DeAndre Dominguez – somebody who's going to really have to step up if this team wants to make any sort of run without Noah Fernandes. And to carry on, you said about TJ Weeks. He was two for four from three against Dayton, and those were like two big shots in the first half, and I, I think he like only took one shot the entire second half, and we saw like when he's involved in the offense, everything stretches out. They can bring the ball inside and really do what they want to do. But for me, we talk about guys not named Keon Thompson and TJ Weeks. I know, and RJ Louise. I want to see the kids play. I mean, this is a season where there's been a lot of turnover, a lot of change, a lot of instability in the starting lineup. You might as well try and see what you have. See what you got in your freshmen and see how they play in these situations because you don't know what the health of, of Fernandes and Cross are going to be. So most importantly, you need to rest up and get as much of your personnel back by Brooklyn. But I think all things considered, I think you should let the kids play. I want to see Tafara Kapari getting extended minutes. I want to see Russell Diggins getting extended minutes. And I want to see the, I want to see what these freshmen can do because this is the future. And Rome wasn't built in a year. So, like, let's see what you have for the future. The, the issue I have with that, um, Sam, is just Kapari hasn't been – he hasn't been very effective or productive when he's been on the floor. And he's out of this world talented. There's not a doubt in my mind about that. And I really think next year he may be the best player on the team. I think he needs time to mature a little bit and develop. He's not good defensively. He bites on every single up fake. He's always going for the big-time block. And it shows off his athleticism, but he's not disciplined yet. And I think that's why that's the issue Frank has with him, I know, and why he doesn't play more minutes. I am all for just letting him go out there because he's an absolute unicorn. Like, you can just let him go, and he can do his thing um, from time to time. But it just, it's just it been frustrating to watch with him, knowing how uber-talented he is, that you see these moments where you're like, what are you doing? Where, like, where did that come from? The, I mean, the scouting report on him should just be like, just throw a simple up fake every time you catch the ball, and he'll go flying past you, and you can drive to the hoop. But when we look at Duquesne a little bit, Duquesne's not a team that's had a uh, 
a bad season whatsoever. Um, They've surprised a lot of people. Yeah, they're 19 and 9, and Day-Day Grant's really good. And one of those losses is to UMass, which is kind of surprising. The Minutemen beat them. That game was at home. Day-Day Grant played pretty solid in that game. But I don't – personally, I don't see a way the Minutemen win this game. This is going to be really important for Duquesne in terms of seeding. Fighting it out at the top of the A-10 right now is such a strange place because basically one through five aren't separated by a whole lot right now. Um I think Dayton and VCU are pretty clearly one and two, but then after that it gets really pretty dicey. But And then St. Bonaventure is another team who... UMass probably should win that game when you look at Bonaventure. They've lost like five straight now. They're not in a good spot uh, whatsoever, but they're, they're very well coached in Mark Schmidt, which I... I gotta say, I don't know how how well coached the Minutemen have been at points during this year, which kind of hurts me to say, but it, it does make me wonder. I could see Frank just getting out-coached by Mark Schmidt in that game. Well, you see it. Well, Mark Schmidt had so much turnover at the top of his roster. He lost a lot of his best players to the portal and also just to graduation, and he's rallied them together. They scrapped together a few wins. I think we can speak for here. We expect him to be more towards the bottom of the conference, but they've, they've huddled around that middle of the pack to a lot of people's surprises because of how Mark Schmidt sort of galvanized them. Yeah, I mean, they're going to end up they could end up playing on Tuesday or on Wednesday in that tournament, which I think at the beginning of the year I would have penciled them in to be right around the spot that UMass is in, the 13, 14, 15 seed range. And Mark Schmidt's a really good coach, so that's kind of what that comes down to. But now let's let's look forward a little bit. I think this is something that we've all wanted to talk about a little bit now that we've touched on the last games and the the two games going forward here. The Minutemen in Brooklyn should be a, a interesting setup. What would have to go right for UMass to win on Tuesday night? Which they're locked into playing on Tuesday night. They're going to take on, right now, it looks like they could play St. Joe's. There's currently the 13 seed. St. Joe's is currently the 12 seed. They could fall into the 14 seed, but no lower than that. So they're either going to be the 13 or 14 seed. And... These two games, I think a win locks them into the 13 seed. If they lose two games, they could still end up being the 13 seed, but they would need some help from other teams like URI and Loyola to not win out. So this kind of becomes an interesting setup, but it's looking likely that they're locked into that 13 seed right now. Yeah, in order for UMass to make like any kind of run in this tournament, beat uh, like, like if they play St. Joe's, um, getting Matt Cross back would be a huge step towards that. Who knows what his health is going to be? Uh, I, was, I was surprised. I don't know if you guys saw it, but Frank said that like he expects that Cross will play, play again this yeah. year, which seems wild to me because when he went down, I totally thought it was a torn ACL, MCL, something along those lines. And even though it's only like a sprain, that still kind of surprises still an me MCL. that they're gonna they're gonna try and get him back. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but and Andrew, I totally interrupted you, but uh, it just seemed a little strange to me that. Uh, they were going to have cross back at some point during this year after dealing with a knee injury. Yeah, it's always scary when you're dealing with a knee injury, and who knows that even if he does come back, if he's going to be able to play to his full potential. Because Matt Cross is a very aggressive type player that loves attacking the paint, loves going up for rebounds with all, with guys who are four or five inches taller than him. He's a very, very aggressive player. Love seeing him play. So hopefully he can come back healthy. And all the the young guys, RJ and Keon, as we've talked about so much, just keep continuing to play at the level they've been playing at. And this game at, uh, versus St. Joe's should be a lot easier than we think it might be. 
I think <clears throat> obviously the health is important, but I think it's about with a young team is gaining momentum. A young team, it's the mental aspect for a young team, the, the emo- it's a roller coaster in terms of emotions. And I think if I really think these two games against Duquesne and St. Bonaventure are actually more important than we think. Because besides for seeding, I think if UMass like starts to somehow click and find a rhythm, I think this there is a lot of talent on this team. Not saying they can win the whole thing, but they can make some noise and potentially turn some heads at the tournament, I feel. You always want to go out on a bit of a high note. Uh, I feel like last year's team did that. They were they won a game in the tournament, and then they took Dayton right down to the wire in a game that Deron Holmes just absolutely crushed them in. Uh, but that game was close the whole way. really could have gone either way. Uh, the Minutemen lost by four in that game, I believe, 76-72. Yeah. So I think for UMass now, this becomes a, like you said, building towards next year. A lot of these guys have eligibility remaining. The only guys they're going to lose, I believe, are going to be Wilden Slovak and Isaac Conte. And everybody else has eligibility. Not saying that everybody's going to come back. I would not be shocked if guys transfer. There's a f- Maybe that's something we can touch on next. Uh, I think that this team, though, you start to think about all the eligibility that's left, that there's, there's definitely things to build on here. And if you win a game in the A-10 tournament, you feel a little bit better about going down to Brooklyn, being one and done, and then headed back up to Amherst, your season's over all of a sudden. And I think also looking towards next year, there's going to be a lot of turnover at the top teams in the conference next year. And I think UMass is one of those rare teams where there's a lot of talent with the potential for a year of stability, which is rare to find at this point. So I feel that if, if hypothetically, again, I'm wishful thinking here, if everyone comes back, another year to play with each other, a year to grow, a year to build camaraderie, whatever, I think this we could be looking at UMass as potential uh, upper, maybe an upper echelon team in the conference because, with, again, with a young team, a new coach, a new culture, it's all about learning to play with each other as well, which they haven't had this year. The only trouble I'm starting to see with, like, looking forward to next year, got a lot of that freshman talent, as we've talked about, a lot of guys who can return. Some might transfer, but it's Isaac, like you said, Isaac Conte and um, Wildens Levesque being the two guys who uh, might be sh- uh, headed out after this year. Those are our two big men, pretty much. Like, Brandon Martin's not going to give us much. Oh, Brandon Martin's not coming back next year either. <laughs> He's not He's, coming back? Yeah, it's the three of them. I take that back. But Brandon's not. He's graduating. He doesn't, yeah, he doesn't also, I guess, offer or get the same type of minutes that those guys do. But, yeah, he's he won't be back. He's a senior. Um, but, yeah, it'd be those three. Yeah, so those three are – three of the guys have been playing, like, big men this year, I guess. Brandon Martin been playing more of the four role. Uh, DeAndre Dominguez currently just doesn't have the size – to play the five and same with Capare, like both tall very long neither one of them is very bulky so that makes me ask a question do we have any young uh freshmen coming in that can play mm-hmm. the starting big man role? i do believe that they've got one kid that's from Bruce center yeah, yeah sawyer mayhew um that's that is, a, is like a center. yeah so but the other thing though about this is Obviously, you guys know in college basketball, you can go out and find a big man somewhere. I mean, that's kind of what they did this year, especially take Wildens as you will. Obviously, comes with Frank, but Isaac is a an NEC guy, somebody who averaged about a double-double there. And I wanted Conte to, attribute, to contribute more than he did this year, uh, personally, but I think that you can go and find those guys going forward as well um, in the transfer portal. That's... But that's the area that they have got to replace. Aside from that, you could potentially 
have everybody else coming back. But I think that's that maybe I can ask my answer my own question here. Do you guys think that everybody comes back, and who are the most likely candidates to transfer out of UMass? Andrew, you're shaking your head. Who do you think? Because <laughs> um, I've got a, I've got a few same. names in my head as well. It's it's hard to look up and down the roster and say a lot of these guys are going to like fully want to stay like without us having like any like inside information or anything. But the number one guy that I'm like actually scared to lose, I don't know if he's even on your guys' radar, is RJ Luis. Um, I know he's just a freshman and his first year with with uh, with us, but this kid's been putting up some impressive numbers lately, and it's definitely numbers that are probably going to catch attention of like a Power Five school. So I wouldn't be surprised if he goes anywhere. Uh, same with probably Matt Cross. He could be uh, shipping out somewhere else. We know he's bounced around quite a bit around the landscape of college basketball. So I think that with with RJ, the you're absolutely right about him transferring. I wouldn't be shocked if he looks around a little bit and there there was interest from Power 5 schools. I don't think he's a Power 5 starter, but I definitely think he's a solid bench piece for somebody that potentially may be looking to make the tournament. Uh, and I, But I guess that's the interesting situation you find yourself in in college basketball now is do you want to win or do you want to play? And I feel like playing time usually trumps that, but I think also... There's a world where UMass needs to make sure he doesn't leave, and that would be mm -hmm. uh, somebody like our lovely sponsor, the Massachusetts Collective's uh, job to try and make sure that they can give RJ uh, something that maybe would make sure he doesn't leave, make sure they can lock him up through some sort of NIL deal. Um, I know they've been trying to do that. So I think that's something that potentially could be interesting, too, is the role that the Collective plays in all of this, especially guys entering the portal and how that looks. Because I don't think anybody really knows how NIL is going to work out at UMass. The collective's obviously off to a good start, I think, and I think it's important in terms of not allowing kids to leave because you can offer them a little bit of money to stay at UMass. RJ's obviously going to be a commodity. And then when you go to the line, you mentioned Cross. I don't think Cross will leave. I think Cross is he transferred from Miami to Louisville and used his one-time transfer there. And then from Louisville to UMass, because Chris Mack was fired at Louisville, he was granted another waiver. If he tried to transfer again, I think he would have to sit out a year, which I don't think he wants to do. Is And he's from Massachusetts. I don't see him going anywhere next year, just logistic standpoint, even though I think he's absolutely good enough. I mean, he was a stud at Miami his freshman year. Uh, and didn't get out of the gym. Didn't get the same types of reps at Louisville, um, but he... Matt Cross is a guy that should be an all E10 player next year, without a doubt. So, looking forward, hopefully, to having him back. But, Sam, what about you? You guys, any names that you think could the enter the one pool? name that I've been thinking about for weeks is I fear we're losing DeAndre Dominguez. Because I feel that if you look at next year, who they're going to keep, there's a lot of logjam at the forward position. You've seen it this year. And, Sean, you mentioned playing time usually trumps it. Dominguez, when he's gone, extended minutes has really produced, and there are just times where he hasn't done it because, again, there's a log jam at the forward position. So I can fully see him going to a place where he knows he's either going to start or get like consistent minutes. I, I agree with DeAndre 100%. I think this is somebody who should have been playing 25 minutes a game a lot earlier in the season, and he wasn't for whatever reason. I disagree with Frank's coaching uh, mechanisms on the way that he has treated Dominguez all season long. He's produces every time he's in the game. He's incredibly effective. He's got more energy than usually everybody else out in the court. I think he should have been playing a lot more a long time ago, and I think that could potentially, uh, you know, not work out for them in the offseason. 
The one redeeming thing I know is DeAndre does enjoy Frank. Like, he enjoyed being coached by Frank in the offseason. He put on a lot of weight in the offseason with Frank and his trainers. He's been pretty vocal about saying how much he has enjoyed the transition, and he enjoys... I mean, there's no doubt for anybody who's watched UMass basketball over the last two years, the coaching style between Frank and Matt McCall last year are very, very different. And I think DeAndre likes somebody riding him a little bit more, but I do think DeAndre, in terms of minutes, he should have been playing a long time ago. So I wouldn't be shocked if he's like, I can go and play someplace like America East and be a starter. NEC, same thing. Sunbelt. I mean, any of those conferences that are below the A-10, uh, he could definitely go and be a starter probably everywhere. So that I agree. That's a good call on DeAndre Dominguez. And the last name I'll, I'll throw out here in terms of transfers would be I think Noah Fernandes is going to leave. I think that's something that has been not spoken about enough for UMass fans. He has his COVID year of eligibility. He's only played in 11 games this year. He could definitely apply for a health waiver too uh, if he wanted to. And that could potentially grant him two more years of eligibility. Um, in some sort of world, potentially. The issue is he has transferred once, so he would need another one, but the way the NCAA has granted second-time transfer waivers recently, it makes me think that he would probably be approved to play immediately, and it wouldn't be too much of an issue. And Fernandes is somebody that can start in a Power 5 team. I have no doubt about that. Not maybe a very good one, but could Noah Fernandes go and play at a low-tier uh ACC school, low-tier Big Ten school, absolutely. I have no no doubts in my mind that he could contribute uh, and play good minutes someplace like that. I hear that, Sean, but I just feel that I don't know how much he cares about legacy, but I feel like Fernandes has a lot to prove. He hasn't really been healthy over the past few years, and when he's been healthy, he's been the best, or really one of the best guards, if not the best guard in the conference, and I feel that he can really build an all-time legacy for himself here, and if that is something that is a factor for him, he knows that I think just having him around and him, that, that legacy, that is something that I feel that should be worth staying. That's my only sort of contention on that. I agree with you, Sean, on uh, Noah considering transferring, and not only just for what you spoke about, but he's no longer, like, the he's he controls our offense completely. Like, without him out there, we've been... The offense does not function as well. But he's got some competition now at the point guard position in Keon Thompson, who I'm sure uh, in a couple of years' time definitely will not be a bench player, will be one of the key players of, of this Minutemen team. And <clears throat> Noah being a big-time moment kind of guy in a small-time moment atmosphere that is the Mullen Center, I uh, wouldn't be surprised to see him take his talents to somewhere where uh, stadiums are full. Yeah, I, the Sam, so going back to, to your point here, he is from Metapoiset, so he's a Massachusetts kid. He came back here after going to Wichita State for a year. That that it could be something that's playing into He does have a kid now, too. I mean, that's another thing that that's a hard. That's a hard move to make. Absolutely could play a factor into this. But when you look around here, I just don't know. I think it's been... I think it's been strange the way that Noah's injury has been handled. As somebody who's been around this basketball team all season, Fernandes tried to ramp back up in December, and it didn't work out. There was another incident with his ankle, uh, and all of a sudden, we now haven't seen him in a very, very long time. So, I, And there's been no updates on Noah's right. injury status. I, I just have a hard time believing 
that it's been an ankle sprain that has caused him to sit out this long. I don't Almost know if there's there's more there's more going on in the background there. And I'm not insinuating that there is or isn't. It's just been something that I've been thinking about. I think it's a little strange. I also know how close he was to head coach former head coach Matt McCall. I I don't know if maybe he's looked around and said, Well, this team's not good enough to go anywhere, even if I am playing. And secondly, like, you know, there's a lot of things that I could risk if I go back out on the floor and get re-injured. So I don't know if he decided to shut himself down this year, which wouldn't totally shock me if that was the case, and just enters the portal when the season ends. But like you said, there's a lot of things that play into that, and I have no idea what he's thinking about going forward here. Obviously, there's a lot of outside circumstances that affect a guy's decision to transfer more than just what's going on on the basketball court. So... Should be should be really really interesting going forward here into the off season for the mid event. Sam, do you have something else? Yeah, I, we're talking about like UMass lacking a big man. We completely forgot Taquan Woodley is still on the roster. Technically, he's, yes, he spent a year away for personal reasons, and like he's gonna be back next year. So maybe. So hopefully, hey, I I think I would pump the brakes on that because I don't. I think he's right. very close to Frank, so I do think he would want to play for Frank. I don't know what's going on in his personal life. There, I have not heard anything about him right. since basically... Since he was signed. Yeah, since he was... It was announced that he would not be playing this season. Right. So I just would say that's a cautious person to point out. But you're right. If Taquan Woodley comes back, they all of a sudden have another big man, which would be great. This team needs more depth to the big man spots for sure. Uh, and like like I said, they can go into the portal. They'll, Frank can get talent. I have no doubt about that. I just don't know if he can coach the talent. That's, I think, been my biggest point all season long. Wilden's Levesque was a guy who was shooting like 55 60% in the SEC, and all of a sudden, now he's here, and he's averaging five points a game. It just, that doesn't make much sense to me. Isaac Conte was somebody that was averaging like a double-double at in NEC school. And, and he showed flashes of brilliance early in the season. It, it just has, hasn't been consistent or nearly enough of it at all this year. So, I think... Frank has no problem getting talent in the door. It's just if he can put a good product on the floor. And personally for me, look, I've got like two shows, two, three basketball shows left. So I'll, I'll let it fly now. I, I don't know if Frank can coach the X's and O's. And I don't know about the substitution methods that he makes. I have questioned them basically all season long. So I think that's one thing to also watch out for because I think – if I'm thinking this and the rest of the fan base is thinking this, which I know they are based on the Twitter reactions to people, I, the guys in the locker room are thinking it too. So the transfer portal is going to be fascinating going forward here. There's a lot, a lot to talk about going forward here. Next week we will have uh, – actually, you guys have any closing thoughts here? Any last thoughts on the Minutemen going forward here? I am honestly psyched for Brooklyn. Like, Should again, be a great time. Should be a great time. And, again, like – Again, to all Minutemen fans, Ro- I'll echo it again. Rome was not built in a year. This is year one of an ex- of a, what is it, a five-year contract. There's a lot of time left. Pump the brakes. There's still time. And I think let's look towards next year and keep on developing the young guys. Yeah, uh, Conference tournament season, always one of the best times of the year. Absolutely. Uh, we sleep in May, boys. Of course. John Rothstein and his uh, – forever one-liners uh but yeah i still i don't know about you guys um 
even though we're not fully healthy, I'm clinging on to like a little bit of hope this team makes some sort of run in the A-10 tournament. Obviously, I don't suspect we're going to win the A-10 tournament. But this team has the pieces. It's just can it all fall together at the same exact time, which this season it has proven not to, as shown by our very lackluster February performance. But the the conference tournament brings out different things from each team. Some years teams rise to the occasion. We saw that with Richmond last year, who I think they were a seven seed in the A ten tournament seven, and yeah. went through and won the whole thing beating a very good St. Louis and Dayton team. So that that's always something to watch out for. This could be an interesting road in Brooklyn. I think there's a lot of storylines left in the season. And like you said, Andrew, conference tournament time is one of the best times of year. We will have an episode next week, and we'll cover. We'll talk about everything. We'll talk about the A-10 tournament. We'll talk about every single team, uh, a little bit, coaches, everything you would want to know going forward. We will also have coverage of the A-10 tournament. For however long UMass lasts, we will be there in Brooklyn. Uh, myself and Pedro Gray Soares will be there. Should be an awesome, awesome time. Really excited to get down to Brooklyn for the first time uh, in my career. So that's exciting. Uh, and then going forward, hopefully we'll have some March Madness stuff that we'll put out too. Just some more uh, generic college basketball stuff. Not so focused on UMass. Uh, real quick, do you have a national championship pick right now, either of you? Andrew, come on. I know you've got a pick. <laughs> Give me somebody. Last year, I went with Kansas. I was correct. And Oof. Two for two? This year, it's going to be a Big 12 team. It's always a Big 12 team. Uh, it's a hard one this year. Sam, I'll give you a second. I have a dark horse. I mean, not really a dark horse. I think I love Houston. I think Houston's very well-rounded, very well-coached defense bay. I love Calvin Sampson. I think Houston. If I had to write the top of my head, I think Houston. Yeah, Houston plays great defense, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with a, with a double repeat here. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say the Oof. Jayhawks again. I mean, you got Jalen Wilson, best one of the best players in the nation, if not the best player, and just coached by Bill Self. Jalen Jalen Wilson's the best player in the country. <laughs> I per, personally, I think that. Um, so I I like the Kansas pick a lot, Andrew. They've been the team that I think has performed pretty consistently all year long. Uh, Maybe a little dark horse-ish pick. I think the team that's going to surprise a lot of people in the end of the tournament is Creighton. I like I Creighton. Creighton. I like Creighton a lot this year. Better. They did come off a brutal loss the other day to Marquette. They blew like a 13-point lead at home. Mm -hmm. uh, but Bailey Shireman's really good. They're well-coached in Greg McDermott. And they're finally all healthy, which hasn't happened like all season long. That's a team that was like a top five uh, in the preseason poll. And then they were just absolutely had to go through the gauntlet in terms of injuries. So... They'd be maybe not my national championship pick, They're but a team to watch I out think for. Final four. I wanted I wanted to go with Kansas, but Andrew took my pick. So <laughs> we'll uh, we'll keep covering college basketball uh, going forward here at WMUA. Lots of good stuff. We will have hockey tonight. The men's hockey team taking on Northeastern at home. Then we've got coverage of the game again tomorrow uh, with hockey against Northeastern. We will also have senior day coverage of the women's team tomorrow. Sam, who are they playing tomorrow? George Washington, Senior Day. Sam GW. Green and Destiny Filoxi will be honored. Come to the coronation of two UMass women's basketball's greatest performers. Yeah, Sam Breen looking to break the UMass school record, I believe, for points scored tomorrow. Uh, should, a lot of history to be made. Should be a really fun day uh, for UMass basketball fans. Get out to Mullins if you can. If you can't, you can listen to Josh Schreiber and Jacob Munch on 91.1 WMUA. 
But that about wraps it up here for us. Uh, keep it locked in on the dial, 91.1 WMUA. You can listen to us 24-7, 365. Uh, there will be lots of more UMass sports coverage. Uh, keep it locked in on our Spotify account as well. So this has been Massachusetts Basketball on 91.1 WMUA. He has an overbite that makes him look like a cartoon character, a slightly crooked eye, and an uncommonly wrinkly neck. In the right light, he can look a little like a garden gnome, and he'll wear a bow tie just because. Sure, you might call him a little quirky, but that's exactly what makes him so perfect. Tuna is a three-year-old Chihuahua dachshund mix with more than 700,000 followers on Instagram, and it all started because he was adopted. You can't buy a best friend like Tuna, but you can adopt one. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Switch on to those guys in those situations, whether it's a pick and roll, because they can be tough. Hi, this is Coolio. I have it, you have it, we all have it. It's called blood. And every three seconds, someone needs blood. Each year, four million people need blood transfusions. You can help by becoming a blood donor. It's fast, simple, and safe. One donation from you can save up to three lives. Be a lifesaver. Call 1-866-FROM-YOU. That's 1-866-376-6968. Toll free, 24-7, 365.